Welcome to The Greek Current, a podcast by Halk and Kathimerini. I'm your host, Thanos Davelis. Earlier this week, there were many who anticipated that Turkey would stand by its veto over Sweden and Finland's NATO membership bids. Instead, on Tuesday night, we saw the three countries reach an agreement that NATO chief Jens Stoltenberg said addressed Turkey's concerns, essentially paving the way for the Nordic countries to join NATO. After the deal was reached, we also saw President Biden meet with Turkish President Erdogan, while the Biden administration reiterated its support for the potential sale of F-16 jets to Turkey. Howard Eisenstadt, an associate professor of Middle East history at St. Lawrence University and a Turkey expert, joins me to look at the deal that was reached on Tuesday, break down what Erdogan's real gains are here, and discuss the role the United States played in getting Turkey to lift its veto. Howard, it's great to have you on our show. Welcome. Hey, Thanos. Good to be with you. Howard, heading into this week's NATO summit, there were many who expected that Turkey would maintain its block over Sweden and Finland's NATO membership bids. Did Turkey's decision to lift its veto come as a surprise? It came as something of a surprise to me. I didn't think it was impossible that a agreement would be reached, but you know, I thought the smarter money was was on this dragging on for at least a year. I thought there were good reasons why Turkey might want to do that. And it appears that many of the diplomats at the meeting also were surprised that an agreement came through. It came through so quickly, but it's good news. So I'm delighted to be wrong. The three countries, you know, Turkey, Sweden, and Finland, signed a memorandum that NATO Secretary General Jens Stoltenberg said addressed Turkey's concerns. What kind of agreement did they reach? You know, is Turkey really getting everything it wanted? Well, in diplomacy, you seldom get everything you want unless you've conquered and occupied the country. This is a, it's a diplomatic agreement, which means that there are a lot of half-truths and a lot of ambiguity written into the text to give the sides the flexibility to go back to their own publics and to broker differences. In diplomacy, agreements aren't supposed to make either side entirely happy. And certainly, I don't think that this agreement makes fundamental changes so much as it demonstrates that Finland and Sweden made an effort to address Turkish concerns. I think the practical effects of the agreement are pretty minimal and frankly, probably could have been reached without all of this crisis for the last couple of months. I think this probably could have been handled very easily behind closed doors quietly earlier on. Can you get into the details of the agreement for our listeners? You know, in what ways were Turkey's concerns met? I think that the one clear place where Turkey's concerns were met was that Sweden and Finland lifted effective arms embargoes on Turkey. Now, for Finland, this was uh, really symbolic because it doesn't have an arms industry to speak of. Sweden does have an arms industry. It's an important arms industry. It's not terribly significant for Turkey. But I think, you know, if we're going to talk about clear wins, then that's one of them. The two northern countries have agreed to join in Turkey's fight on terrorism. They've agreed to look at Turkish extraditionary requests according to European law, which doesn't really represent much. There was a reaffirmation of Turkey's opposition to the PKK and its description as a terrorist organization. Again, that's not new, but the reaffirmation was comforting. They agreed to not provide support for the YPG and PYD or for the Gulenis movement, described in the document as FETO. 
the language of the text sort of separates out that agreement to the describing the PKK as a terrorist organization. So that's a level of ambiguity in the text. They agreed to support Turkey's participation in some various European cooperative organizations. I mean, the most actionable thing was the lifting of the embargo. Sweden agreed to a new, tougher anti-terrorist law, but that was something that Sweden apparently was already planning to do. On the other hand, Turkey got some additional stuff outside of the agreement. It got a special session on the southern tier in NATO to allow Turkey to voice its interests. It got its meeting with Biden that Erdogan had wanted very badly. It got the opportunity to demonstrate that Turkey has an important role in NATO, that Turkey can act as a spoiler, and that what is in Turkey's interest needs to be addressed within the confines of NATO. If all of this, as you've laid out, could have been achieved without all this tension over the last months, you know, what was the point of all of this from Erdogan's perspective? Yeah, I think that there's there's kind of two schools of thought on that. And I think, in a sense, both of them are right. I think that there are those who focus on Turkey's or Erdogan's desire to have moments where he stands up to the West for domestic electoral consumption, for burnishing his image. And I certainly think that was a play and, and worked in his favor in you know what's inevitably an election year. So I think that that was part of it. I think that he also believes that Turkey needs to play hardball in order to get Western concessions. So I made the argument that Turkey could have gotten what it achieved here. It could have gotten behind closed doors. And I suspect that the Turkish diplomatic corps would agree with me. I'm not sure that President Erdogan would agree with me. I think that President Erdogan really does believe that his Western allies do not have Turkey's best interests at heart, and that if Turkey's interests are going to be met, it is going to be because Turkey forced the issue. A lot's been made about the meeting President Biden agreed to with President Erdogan and the statement from the administration regarding its support for the sale of F-16s to Turkey. What role did the U.S. play in this process? To the best of my knowledge, it played a minimal role in the process, but it stepped in at important moments. It stepped in firstly with a phone call to Erdogan before the summit to indicate costs and benefits of attending and participating and by giving a meeting and pledging support sort of at that critical moment. The irony is I think that what Erdogan achieved with the U.S. besides just the face-to-face meeting, the U.S. was already inclined to give. The United States had already given support for the F-16 deal. The administration had given support for the F-16 deal. It was selling it through Congress that was and is the tough hurdle. Had Turkey not back down on finishing Swedish accession to NATO, I suspect that getting F-16 deal through Congress would have been impossible. Now, I think it's still tough. So the Biden administration returned to its position from before this whole crisis emerged. 
And it's not clear to me that the people who are resistant to the F-16 deal in Congress are going to be less resistant after this whole crisis. But certainly the Biden administration has reiterated its earlier position that it would support such a deal. Lifting its veto and signing the memorandum is essentially step one. Sweden and Finland are not NATO members yet. Could Turkey make an issue of their membership down the road, especially if it doesn't see action on its extradition requests, for example? Yes, it could. And I'm not going to put odds on that happening. I mean, extradition requests are a process, and so is the accession process. So most experts think it would take about a year to push the accession process through all of the various parliaments in NATO. Turkey will certainly have an opportunity to drag its feet again. And I think that that's possible. You know, I don't expect a wave of extraditions. It's possible that there will be some deportations of people who haven't received asylum yet in in Sweden. We're really not talking about Finland here. I don't know. I don't expect Sweden will be able to make any sort of extradition request really quick because, of course, people have the right to appeal and to go to the courts. So I think there's the potential there. I wouldn't want to bet one way or another whether that throws up new roadblocks. You know, my advice to NATO officials remains the same, which is hope for the best in terms of the accession process, but prepare for the worst. And I think that NATO should be doing everything it can to assure Finnish and Swedish security in that intervening time. Howard, wrapping up, has this whole saga over Sweden and Norway proven that being disruptive within the NATO alliance is ultimately a good political strategy for Erdogan? I'm not sure that it's a good political strategy for Erdogan. I'm convinced that Erdogan believes it's a good strategy. I think that from Erdogan's perspective, NATO's greatest advantage is that it provides Turkey a seat at the big table. It provides Turkey with a veto. I think the disruption for Turkey is a feature. It's not a bug. Turkey certainly wants to be in NATO. I think all the discussions that one sees in the media about will Turkey leave NATO or can we kick Turkey out of NATO, I think that's all nonsense. Turkey's in NATO. It has no intention of leaving NATO. It wants to be in NATO. It doesn't necessarily want NATO to be a very strong institution, and it certainly doesn't want it to be an anti-Russian alliance. But I think that you know the disruption is not a bad thing from Erdogan's perspective, certainly. It's one of the, the advantages of having a seat at the table. Howard, it's great speaking with you and having you on The Greek Current. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. In other news, in the wake of the NATO summit conclusion in Madrid, Athens is focusing on the fact that the agreement between Ankara, Stockholm, and Helsinki for NATO's enlargement does not affect Greek interests. Government sources said the agreement essentially constitutes a retreat by Turkey, which had intensified its rhetoric in recent months, but without extracting anything of particular substance, and does not in any way affect Greece's interests, nor can it affect EU-Turkey relations. Meanwhile, President Biden discussed the importance of maintaining stability in the Aegean with President Erdogan during a meeting on the margins of the NATO summit that also covered topics such as Ukraine, Russia, and Syria. 
Finally, Greece has sent an official request to the United States for the purchase of 20 F-35 fighter jets, the country's prime minister said on Thursday. Prime Minister Kyriakos Mitsotakis said Greece is also examining the purchase of a second group of the jets. Sending a request is the first step in a multi-stage process, Mitsotakis said, adding that the government expected deliveries of the jets would begin in 2027 to 2028. Mitsotakis first referred to the purchase of F-35 jets during a visit in May to the United States. The acquisition of F-35s would strengthen Greece's defense capabilities, deepen U.S.-Greek NATO interoperability, securing regional stability, U.S. Ambassador to Greece George Tunis tweeted last week. That wraps up today's episode of The Greek Current. Thanks for tuning in. Mm-hmm.